A few years back, we were invited to, to lead worship at a, at a two-day denominational event for our state convention. And we, we had a great experience. Um, the congregation, consisting mainly of church leaders, deacons, um, it, they were very receptive and, and engaged. They were ready to worship. Um, it, was, it was a powerful occasion. And I'll, I'll never forget it. I'll always remember it. And at the end of our time on Saturday afternoon, we were, we were packing up. That's the fun thing about playing music. You got to haul your, all your equipment, <laughs> uh, and you got to pack it up. You got to kind of pay to play. Um, but we're packing up, and we're preparing to leave. And one of the singers made a statement commenting about our shared mountaintop experience. Um, and he lamented, he said, why can't it always be like this? Um, mountaintop experiences. They are crucial for our well-being. Uh, crucial spiritually, emotionally, I, I think probably even physically. Um, and this morning we're going to look at one of the most unforgettable mountaintop experiences um, in Matthew chapter 17. So if you want to go ahead and begin to turn to Matthew 17. Matthew 16 draws to a close and Jesus says to the disciples and he says to us, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and, and follow me. And, and this morning we will pick up at the beginning of, of chapter 17 verse 1 Six days later, six days later, Jesus takes with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he leads them up on a high mountain by themselves. And they arrive and something happens. Something that is crucial to their ministries, to their lives, and, and crucial to ours. Jesus is transfigured. He's transfigured before them, and his face shines like the sun, and his garments, they become white as light. What happened? Well, the word transfigure shows up only a few times in Scripture. And, and it's, it's the word where we get the word metamorphosis, if, if you look in the dictionary, uh, online, Oxford Online, it, it, it's in, the in, in an insect or an amphibian. It's the process of transformation from an immature form to an adult form in two or more distinct stages. And when it comes to the non-insect or non-amphibian, to the mammal, to us, it's, it's a change of the form or nature of a thing or a person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. And we have this account in Matthew. Well, it's also recorded in Mark. And, and Mark says that when Jesus was transfigured, 
His garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And some of you, some of you I know read the King James Version and in Mark chapter 9 it would read this. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can whiten them. And I want you to remember that. No fuller on earth can whiten them. Well, Matthew tells us that when Jesus is transfigured, and all of this begins to take place, in verse 3, Behold, Moses and Elijah appear as well in front of these men, and they begin talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah. They appear. <laughs> Moses and Elijah, and they talk with Jesus. Well, why Moses? Why Moses? Well, when we think of Moses, we think about a radiant burning bush near Mount Horeb. We, we think about Pharaoh, let my people go. We think about the Lord leading his people by Moses out of Egypt through the deadly waters of the Red Sea, through the wilderness of temptation and sin toward the promised land. And when we think of Moses, we, one thing that comes to mind is God as deliverer. Well, why Elijah? Why Elijah? Well, when we think about Elijah, uh, the first thing that probably pops in your head is Elijah's flaming chariot in 2 Kings. Well, and, all that, and that happens at the end of his ministry. You know, Elijah and his successor, Elisha, they're going along and they're talking, and, and 2 Kings chapter 2 tells us that there appears a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and they separate the two men, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. That might be the first thing that comes to mind about Elijah. But, but also, we have to think about the prophet who called out injustice and wickedness. When, when Elijah first shows up, way back in 1 Kings chapter 17, if you remember the story, Elijah pronounces a word of judgment in the form of a three-year drought throughout the land. And he does this to call out this ungodly king of Israel, King Ahab and his pagan wife Jezebel, but also these wicked, evil, ungodly priests that, that worship the pagan deity Baal. And maybe you remember when Elijah challenges the priests of Baal at Mount Carmel. He, he calls them to a showdown. And, and he says, we'll do this by seeing who can light the sacrifice. Which deity can light the sacrifice? And if you remember, the priests of Baal, they put on quite a show. It's really kind of a circus. They, they hoot and they holler and they dance and they yell and they cut themselves and nothing happens. But what happens with Elijah? Well, in 1 Kings 18, after the failed drama of the priests of Baal, 
Elijah says to all the people of Israel, because he called all of Israel out, and he says, come near to me. And so all the people come near to Elijah, and he repairs the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah takes 12 stones, each for the 12 tribes of Israel, and he builds an altar in the name of the Lord, and he makes a trench around the altar, and he arranges the wood and the sacrifice, and he says this, he says, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering in the wood. And, and this happens three times. So a ton of water, and the water flows around the altar and the trench as well. And at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah says the following prayer. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. And then the fire, the fire of the Lord falls and consumes the burnt offering along with the wood and the stones and the dust and the flame actually licks up the water that's in the trench. And when all the people see it, they fall on their faces and they say, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Amen. And then Elijah says this. He says, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And so the people crowd in around these prophets. They seize them. And Elijah brings them down to a brook named Kishon, and he slays all 400 priests. Imagine that as a movie. Woo! When we think of Elijah, we think of God as judge. When we think of Moses, we think of God as deliverer, and when we think of Elijah, we think of God as judge. And so this morning, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are there talking. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I love Peter. I love Peter. Peter is the idea man. He's, he's you know, again, he's kind of like first lieutenant. He's, he's sitting first chair in the, in the trumpet section, okay? He's the idea man, and he always has a suggestion, and it's a good thing. Peter would be a great program director, you know? Peter and his boundless enthusiasm. And, and speaking for the others... You know, I can hear Peter just declares just how proud they are to be there, you know? And he takes it upon himself to offer to build for Jesus and the heavenly duo each a tabernacle. And if you look at the word tabernacle, put it in, its, in a verb form or maybe in an infinitive form, it means to dwell with. God dwelling with the Israelites in the wilderness. And maybe you remember how God signified His presence with Moses in Israel, a bright, a bright cloud of smoke 
by day and a, and a pillar of radiant fire by night. And, and the Lord would also meet with Moses in the tabernacle, and, and Moses' countenance would shine supernaturally in such a way that Moses had to, had to cover his face from the Israelites. But let's not overlook the obvious. Let's step back from the theology for just a moment. Keeping in mind that, that as I opened up this morning, we've all had wonderful mountaintop experiences at one time or another. Those wonderful moments that fly by ever so quickly that we really don't want to end. And here, on this literal mountaintop, Peter wants to stay. Can you blame him? I, I can't. Peter is still speaking. And a bright cloud overshadows them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. This is not the first time we've, we've seen this kind of thing. Do you remember at the very beginning of our kingdom encounters... Matthew chapter 3, at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus rises from the water, and the heavens open. And the Holy Spirit of God descends upon the Son of God. And then a voice out of the heavens says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And now, 14 chapters later, this same voice out of the same heavens says the same thing, but adds one phrase. Listen to Him. Amen. Amen. The presence of the Lord, bright and burning, bright and burning during Elijah's showdown with Baal at Mount Carmel. And the presence of the Lord there in the, in the chariot with Elijah. The presence of the Lord bright and burning with Moses and, and the bush there at Mount Horeb. With Moses and the Israelites at Mount Horeb. Later on, the presence of the, of the Lord bright and burning with Jesus on the mount now with, with Moses and Elijah. And now we experience the presence of the Lord, bright and burning and giving directions to these three bewildered, frightened men. When the disciples hear this, Matthew tells us they, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And I would say that's quite an understatement. Jesus comes to them and touches them. 
and says, get up and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do you remember the last time we saw a bright light from above and heard the words, do not be afraid? Shepherds were living out in the fields and they were watching their flocks one evening and suddenly this angel of the Lord appears to them. And the glory of the Lord shone about those shepherds and our texts tell us they were sore afraid. They weren't just afraid, they were sore afraid, right? And the angel says to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And the Messiah, the Lord, is standing on that mount with Moses and Elijah and these three terrified men. And the Messiah, the Lord, tells them, get up and don't be afraid. They lift up their eyes there in verse 8, and they see no one except Jesus. Jesus himself alone. What, what does one do after this? <laughs> Can you imagine the awkward silence on the part of Peter, James, and John? The end of the scene. Man, it's hard to come down from the mountain, isn't it? They're coming down from the mountain. And Jesus commands them, saying to them, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asking, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? I mean, Elijah was just there. I mean, they just didn't pull this out of thin air. They, they've had this on their minds. Legitimate question. If you've got your Bibles, I would like for you to, to hold your place, mark your place there in Matthew, and I want you to do something with me. Hold your place in Matthew, and then I want you to turn back to the very beginning of the New Testament, the very beginning of this book of Matthew. And once you get there, I want you to turn one more page back to the very last page of your Old Testament. The book of Malachi. The last three scriptures in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verses 4, 5, and 6. A prophecy that says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. 
the law. Behold, verse 5, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Keep your finger there. In Matthew, this morning, Jesus answers answers those three as they descend the mountain. Jesus answers and says, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came and they did not recognize him and did to him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples do something that I don't think the text really records much to this point. They understand that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. They're able to see it. We just read these words from Malachi. But Malachi said a couple of other things regarding both John the Baptist and Jesus. So as you've marked Malachi, where we just were, I want you to flip back one more page, because Malachi is short. Malachi chapter 3. Verse 1. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Didn't John the Baptist come to prepare the way? He did. And the Lord whom you seek, the Lord whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. A refiner's fire like fuller's soap. Like like one whose garments became shining exceedingly white as snow, as no fuller on earth can clean them. Became shining. Transformed. Transfigured. We've had a kingdom encounter this morning of an entirely different magnitude. One scholar wrote that Peter, James, and John, in all actuality, saw Jesus as he really is that morning in his glorified form. It's kind of like the old song that says, and we sing a foretaste of glory divine. What was once prophesied and pointed to, 
through the prophets in the Old Testament is now realized. Looking way back, looking way back to Exodus with Moses, Israel enslaved was called out of Egypt and led by Moses to pass through the waters of death at the Red Sea, brought by God into freedom and new life. And in the same manner, Jesus the Israelite, the Galilean from Nazareth, if you remember from way back in chapter 3, he is brought out of Egypt to pass through waters of the Jordan at his baptism to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And not because he had to repent from sin, because he's the sinless Son of God, but he, the sinless Son of God, became sin on our behalf. And we have seen through the role of Elijah that God will bring judgment upon sin. And this is why the Son of God becomes sin for us. Amen. Jesus, the new Israel, becomes our Passover. Signifying to all that the kingdom of heaven is now here. And Peter, James, and John have just witnessed the foretaste of glory divine. Following the baptism of Jesus, God the Father speaks of His pleasure in His Son's obedience. Not only in what the Son does by being baptized, but by the Son's obedience of what is to come, the crucifixion. And now, here on the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father, in the presence of two, who are the representations of divine deliverance and divine judgment speaks now of His pleasure in His Son's obedience. And God the Father, God the Father now gives a singular statement of instruction to not only three frightened, bewildered men, but to all who would follow. Listen to Him. Amen. Listen to my Son. It's been said by many who preach that a sermon should be able to be summarized down to one thought. And so many times when we read this passage of Scripture, we look at all that is happening, (laughs) as we absolutely should, because there's a lot going on, but we miss the main point. In the midst of all of the dramatic activity of, of heaven literally meeting earth we overlook the crucial point. Like Peter, it's easy for us to get carried away and we speak so loudly, we live so loudly that we don't listen to Jesus. Can you hear him? It took an event like what we read this morning for those closest to the Son of God to witness an event unlike any that they would ever see again on this side of life. And what a tremendous gift. I mean, a tremendous supernatural hope-instilling event. And and, and this would be one that would no doubt help to sustain them through some dark days, some very dark days, which would be coming ever so quickly. But the point of this entire encounter, this this kingdom encounter, is for them and for us 
to come back to the non-negotiable factor, the crucial element of our relationship with our Lord. To listen to Him. God Himself said to. Listen to the Son. Is the Spirit of God speaking to you this morning? Is He confirming something in your heart or your life that you need to deal with? Is there something that maybe you need to put down or, or put away or maybe you need to even put it to death? Is there noise in your life that needs to be turned not just down but turned off so that you can listen to Him? Maybe you've never heard Him and He's speaking to you this morning. Maybe you've not heard Him in a while. He's always trying to talk to you and talk to me. Listen to Him.